Hello and welcome to the Inside Scoop podcast. This podcast aims to offer a behind-the-scenes look into the journalism industry, talking to lecturers, trainers, editors, reporters, and those who have grafted their you-know-whats off this year to bring you the trusted news. I'm delighted to say I'm joined today by Andrew Mosley. Andrew is the editor of the Rotherham Advertiser. Good afternoon, Andrew. Afternoon, Sam. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. And how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, t- thanks for taking the time after this year on the 18th of December at two o'clock on a Friday to do this. So uh, no I do problem. appreciate that. And I think we'll probably come to the reasons why I said that a little bit later on. Um, I think what might be a nice place to start or where might be a nice place, nice place to start is for those that are listening that are either training or looking at becoming a reporter um, would be to ask you about your route into journalism. And obviously we work together, but I don't actually know the ins and outs of how you got into it from sort of um, being at school and where the interest came from and then the route that you took. Yeah, fine. Um, at school, actually at primary school, um, when they used to ask you what you wanted to do, I thought, I want to be a joiner. And then I realised you had to know about Amazon nails and stuff like that, and I couldn't put two <laughs> things together. So um, I gave up that ambition. And then at about 11 years old, I got into like watching football and uh, writing reports about it, because I was interested and started reading newspapers. And um, I got a typewriter when I was uh, 12 yeah. at Christmas which um, I think was probably quite unusual back then for, um, for a lad, basically. But I really wanted to learn to type and to produce my own newspapers, which I did. But at home, I used to call it Sports Report. It had a little masthead across the top, a price, the date, and uh, uh, stories underneath, done into columns. And um, I got into it after that. And then about 15, 16, went to see the careers officer. What do you want to do? I want to be a journalist. I, you need to think again. Um, you need to go up to the bank and see if they've got any jobs going, that sort of thing. And I thought, no, no, I'm not. Um, why did so they? Why with... did they tell you? Why did they tell you no? Why did you uh, say? I you think they thought it was bank. unrealistic. I, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't read or write. No, I was a really, I was a really quiet lad, and uh, they thought I was too shy. I think to um, do that sort of thing, which my dad also thought. Okay. Um, but then, sort of into the sixth form. And that, and I'd done, we do my English A level, and I started applying and writing to newspapers. Um, obviously, I was still a bit too young, so I went off to university, did my degree also in English, and wrote to papers then. And um, eventually, oddly, the one that did write back was the uh, Craven Herald in Skipton, which was my local paper that I read since I was a kid. And um, so I applied there, and I got an interview, which quite surprised me. I got down to the final two, and there was me and a lad from Ermestead Grammar School. And um, he'd done a really good application. He'd made his own proper newspaper. And uh, I hadn't. You could have used really your well. one that you did on the typewriter though. <laughs> I, brought, I brought them in, I've still got them. And um, still got them. And uh, the editor said to me um, in the interview, um, you play cricket, I see. And uh, so I take it that means you'll, you like a pint. And uh, I still like to think that if I'd said no to that, I wouldn't have got that job. And I went home and realised he hadn't asked me a lot about journalism. He'd seen my work and what I could do and all that sort of thing. He wanted to know me as a person. Mm. And then I got the phone call and I was in, uh, which was great and a good bit of luck. So, and I thought that was it and I was wrong. There was a six month residential course in Hastings in Sussex and um, I had no concept of the effort that I needed to put in to, um, into shorthand government law it was really hard. It was like eight hours a day, five days a week, and up to four hours a day shorthand. Ooh. And um, you used to get shouted at proper 
big time. And um, I think it toughened me up quite a lot. After about three years, I moved down to Devon to work on a newspaper there in um, Exeter. Uh, did that for two or three years, then worked on a music magazine and a lifestyle magazine um, for three or four years, and then went back into newspapers, and then up to Bolton as a features editor, then assistant editor, and then uh, here in Rotherham um, as the editor. So based on what you were saying about how this sort of, a bit like a boot camp, I'm guessing, um, yeah. what that taught you, what would your um, piece of advice be to somebody who might be looking at getting into the industry or is currently training? I think um, I'd appreciate um, how difficult it is more than I did, and that just yeah, because okay. you've, got, you've got you've got on a course doesn't mean you're there. Um, that course is actually hard, and I think also the harder you work on that course, the better you are at the end of it. I don't think it's just about passing the course and passing your exam, which I thought it's about what you learn. Because I also discovered that having passed everything at the end, I was still pretty rubbish as a journalist. And I can remember getting um, some pretty extreme times off from the editor in uh, my first few months about me writing, about accuracy, about not asking the right questions. And um, you, you might be sitting there at 21, 22, thinking, what does he know? Um, but he knew a hell of a lot more than I did. Are and, you, um, like, when I'm, I appreciate when I'm everything he taught me. When I'm, when I'm training, I, I use a phrase, um, especially on the NCTJ course, of, of on it. And I can't define what that is. It's not, yeah. I, it's, not, it's not tangible. I can't define what it is. But being on it is absolutely crucial. And being on it is not just passing all the modules in your shorthand. It's more than that. It's like a whole, yeah. a whole package. And um, you sort of immerse yourself in the industry and in the practice that you're training to, to be, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're right. It's like um, like the old saying, isn't it? You know, you pass your driving test, but you're still a crap driver. You actually learn afterwards, don't you? Yeah, when you, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. On, you're on your own and you've got to develop, you, you, you learn the tricks of really driving in different conditions. And I think you're right, the phrase on it, you've got to keep aware of all the trends around you, which I'm equally guilty of not doing at some points. And then you play catch up. And I'm a little more aware of that now and you're still learning. And um, I think every keeping up with the news, listening to the news, watching it, spotting things as you're driving around. I used to absolutely love that. And I used to love looking at the other publications and beating them to stories and yeah. writing them better, getting a different angle and spotting follow-ups while I was there, that sort of thing. I used to take great pleasure out of that. And I think that gives you, you enjoy your job more when you put the FA in as well. And um, you get pride out of it. And I think that's important. It makes your publication better, your online presence, everything better. And you can feel what you've contributed to that and and it's about a community around you it's not just you and it's how you're seen by the community and i think that's really important unfortunately that's the positive side dealt with because my next question is going to be about 2020 and how you guys um and when i say you guys my former colleagues how you've coped and what it's what it's actually been like to report um i mean when I say that, I'm a journalism lecturer now. I've been a journalism lecturer since September of last year. So I was I became a journalism lecturer before the pandemic began. But I follow the news, of course I do. Um, it's, it's my passion, it's my interest, and it's what I teach. And I have found myself on Sundays absolutely exhausted with it and just drained by what's going on. So how have you guys found it as a team to be reporting on it? And say at the um, the outset when um, 
lockdown was announced, there was a lot of heads in hands. And we started thinking, how are we going to get through this? How are we going to even bring a paper out? How are we going to not make a massive loss? How are we going to keep going? And you look at the history of the paper and it's 162 years old. And you think, am I going to be the editor when it all, <laughs> yeah. it all ends? And um, we sat there and there were so maybe three or four of us in a meeting, furloughs were announced and we thought, hang on, there might be a way through this. And we started with the Restarting Rotherham campaign, which is advertising based. And we kept all of our advertising due to that. We didn't give them free, free adverts, we gave them deals and we did campaigns, went on the radio to promote it, that sort of thing. Um, and then we had to work out a way of getting a paper out. So um, the production department were quite heavily furloughed, that being the sort of the ad setters, those sort of people, because there weren't many ads to set. Um, same went with advertising. And in news, we kept about, I'd say, 60% to start with. So we split, we maybe, um, we shared furlough, we shared coming into work, some people worked from home, so there was that kind of mix. Um, obviously, we couldn't go out to events, so sport was off, um, a lot of news was off. So we had to be a bit more creative, so Gareth started a weekly archives feature, like um, this week he's done one on a daredevil um, woman who wrote The Wall of Death um, back in, I think, the 1920s. Um, we had the first person to be killed in the Blitz from Whiston last week. So they're, they're pretty really popular. People have been coming in with features. Um, Sport did historical features as well. And we've had a really good response from that. Um, we're quacking as well, not to just rely on COVID stories. We're starting off with, due to the pandemic, well, God, you know, it gets a bit boring for the reader after a bit. So we try to focus quite a lot on the positive. And what do you uh, say? Would you say that that's important both to the reader and to the reporter? Because yeah, I would. If you are creeping in due, due to the pandemic in every intro or second part, um, it, it soon becomes draining on the reporter as well as you say the reader. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I think some are um, more easy going on that than others. And I think the people that, um, as we talked about earlier, want to be on it and put their all into it, want to want to give something a little bit different. And um, so looking for different avenues, different ways of reporting. And we've had a couple particularly who've been very creative throughout this and have um, sort of ploughed their own furrow and come in with ideas, which has been good. Um, our photographer, chief photographer, Dave Poucher, has been out and about, still on his, uh, including one day where he got out in the back of his um, car with the boot open while his wife drove him around, uh, taking pictures of uh, celebrations um, during the summer in um, the VE yeah. uh, celebrations. And he did that, so we've got different ways of going out and about. And then eventually, like, sport crept back in, even though it was behind closed doors. So um, that's, we've had to juggle who's been in, who's been out. Some people have preferred to work from home. Some have come into the office throughout. Um, what I wanted to do and said right at the beginning is I think we should come in. You know, not all of us, but I think some of us should. We moved into the town centre last year, the first time in um, 35 years. And we're saying we're open, we're saying we start in Rotherham. And I was saying we cannot be closed if we're restarting Rotherham. We can't have a closed door when people are coming with stories or coming wanting to put um, adverts in for births, marriages, deaths, that sort of thing. So we stuck that out. Um, we've been in, I've been in every day since February the 18th I had off, which was a Tuesday. And that's one day I've had off this year. So it has been quite tough. 
talking the listeners through the setup at the Tizer. Um, I would certainly, from my experience there, compared to where else I was, refer to it as old school, but old school in the right way. Um, mm. So how much of a, I guess it's a twofold question, how much of a part does the advertising revenue still play in terms of the print product? Um, and how does that fit in terms of the setup and the, the strategy that you, that you have there? Good question, that. Um, Thanks, I'm a journalist, I, you know. <laughs> Never asked them when you were here. <laughs> when I started in um, 2012, there was virtually no online presence, and um, it's obvious we had to up our game on that, so we did. But I was keen on developing that and having the right people, such as yourself, who did a lot towards developing the online presence, but were also committed to maintaining the standards in print and not abandoning one in favour of the other. In fact, seeing it as two um, streams that we could push journalistically and um, revenue-wise. Mm. And we've remained aware of that um, through the pandemic. I think um, what we did, we thought, well, advertising is going to crash. And we realised that our average figure bringing in what we needed, or that we did pre-pandemic, was about 28,000 a week. Um, fine. And then we were well, we're going to get nothing. We didn't get nothing. We started on a base of about £8,000 a week if you're going through BMD's government ads. And we thought, well, that's not bad for a start. And so generally, we were coming in at 10 12 with the furlough money as well. That was bringing us up to not far from what we needed. And we kept our sales up as well. I mean, we dropped about maybe 10 15%. So we're still selling sort of like 15000 16000 copies a week. So that's 16000 quid coming in. Which, but that's at the height, is it? Is that the height of the pandemic, or is that? Is yeah, that we've, we've no, we maintained it um, yeah, throughout, which has been good. So it's it's actually oddly, we've probably made more of a profit this year than we did last year. Well, we ha we definitely have through managing who we've had in, how we've dealt with things, the pagination, that sort of thing. Not not making it drop too low. Um, I've pushed for like 64s and 72s. Some people might have wanted a 56, but people are going to stop buying it then. Been on Facebook, been on Twitter, explaining why the pagination's low when people have said, oh, there's nothing in it. And I've said, so, you know, hang on. There's no, there's no adverts in it. You know, we're a bit down on staff. We're, we're doing our best. And if you support us through this, at the end of it, we'll come back stronger because we Would need you, to do this to get through it. I guess um, I, I wouldn't be doing my former journalist background to not pick up on the fact that reading between the lines you've had a good year because you've not had as many staff in so I, I define good in that question yourself but yeah. does that then lead the question that you could feasibly do what you do with fewer staff or is it that you are doing that to to an end point where i don't know when furlough ends which seems to be extended all the time but are you are you um is it feasible is it feasible to do what you're doing now and then pump it back up once everything gets back going? I mean, I notice a tie into that. You've not had a day off in, since, since February. So that's yeah, not, not feasible, is it, I guess? Uh, but you're not the only one to have asked that. Um, about a month in, our um, owner and chief exec came in and said, I've worked out from this. We could probably um, yeah. bring out the advertiser on a week weekly basis with half the number of staff. Of course, yeah. And so we had the debate and then we had it again the week after and again the week after. And we've got a new finance director. He asked the same thing. 
he's more understanding. I explained to him, you know, courts weren't on, inquests weren't on, football's not on, rugby's not on. It wasn't so when this comes back, we have to staff these things because the readers will expect that. We can't just carry on not doing it. So I've argued that throughout. So, so I've got absolutely no intention of losing anybody at the end of this, if I can, if I can do that. I guess all these um, decisions and thought processes that you're going through are helped massively by the fact that you're an independent. Oh, 100%. I mean, we've literally been... You're at your office, or you did when I was there, and you go from editorial to advertising, and you go yeah. to see advertising as an editor, and then you come and see editorial or news desk as an editor, and it's it's there, and those decisions can be made there and then if you re, if it's desperate. Yeah, hundred percent. And if you visit our office now, there's literally um, twenty yards maybe from where I sit to where advertising are. So it's quite a small office. And so the way we work is that you know somebody from advertising can come straight in here with an idea. I can go straight over there and tell them about a feature that we're doing when we want to do it how we're doing it who they should get in touch with and we can sort of make that decision like that and go with it that week there's nobody else to ring there's nobody else to ask permission there's basically myself jamie who's operations director david who's the new uh, finance director um, and to a lesser degree the owner who probably seen five or six times this year so it has almost been three of us basically sitting there asking staff for ideas thinking yeah we'll go with that and also there's no taking credit for other people's ideas you know we're all in a small office together no, nobody's playing a game to try and move, move up any um, ladder really you know those decisions are easy to make yeah and um, we can just go with them and and I like that last question links to a lot of this well a lot of this discussion has has sort of been about print and that's probably because of the strategy that we've spoken about that the Tizer has but how is web for you guys? I'm not asking you to go through in-depth figures, but no, no. How is how is the web, and what's the strategy there? I know that there's now um, certain articles will come up with. I can't remember the name of the software, but yeah, Chuckers Ten Bob, and you can read this article. Um, what sort of how is it, and what's the strategy at the minute for web? Yeah, I mean, we got to um, just before um, lockdown. We'd been in discussion with um, a company called Axate to introduce a paywall. Um, I didn't want to do a 100% paywall and because um, I still think that there's room to be promoting your print through through the stuff that you're putting on Facebook, Twitter and the internet. But what we did think was the more in-depth articles, we'll, um, we'll put those behind a paywall at 20p each or a quid for as many as you want in that week. So you're basically paying the same as you are for an advertiser and you get full yeah. access. And the rest will do shorter versions or if other papers have got it, you know, it might be just some football injury news that's come out of a press conference. So it's going to go in the star. It's going to go everywhere else. We'll put that online for free. But what we will do, we'll advertise that we've got an interview with the guy that's injured in this week's paper or Paul Warren talks about the injury crisis, but it's only either behind the paywall or it's in the paper. So we're quite committed to developing that sort of um, parallel in sort of parallel lines, really. Well, that's, the, that's the old, the huge whole industry-wide issue that it was given away for nothing from the from the get-go. Yeah, and we've been, uh, and however much we um, didn't jump off that cliff, we've still been affected by others doing it because, yeah. you know, if other nearby publications decide 
quite rightly that they're going to put say um, a murder online on a Monday morning. We're not going to hold that, are we now? Until a Thursday or a Friday, it's a, it's a different world. You just like you missed it. So we have to give those stories away. And so there is an element of what goes in your print that's old news that people have seen already. So we do try and do things a little bit differently in print to avoid that as much as we can. So people don't feel they're having to pay for the online stuff as well as they are the print edition and getting the same thing. Final question then, and I'm not asking you to predict the future, especially as we come towards the end of what's been a, a crazy year, but what would, um, what does the short-term and long-term future for the Tizer look like? Um, and sort of how does this rising digital fit into that? I think short-term, if, we, if we're looking at, say, six months. Yeah as a short-term figure, we'll come out of this at the end of April if furlough finishes then in a stronger position than we went in to it um, financially, probably similarly sales-wise and hopefully similarly staff-wise. I think we've identified um, certain old school jobs that were here, not in my department, but in other departments that we don't have anymore. And that has enabled us to um, increase sort of certain people's skills like the guy that was doing um, a lot of the sort of techie stuff, the design stuff, he's now designing ads yeah. as well. Um, so people have sort of stepped into other shoes and I think that's um, given us a way forward really. Um, we'll have the new magazine starting hopefully in about February, I think. So that'll be all up and running. Um, we're um, increasing the weekend, uh, improving that up in that's pagination. Um, online, um, we've got a program that was due to come in um, about, I'd say, it would have been about June, but it didn't, which was all aimed at um, training the advertising staff on selling online ads because we don't have a lot, to be honest. Um, but I'm not intending upping our news content online at the expense of the paper. I think we're at a level now where we're not seeing it hit sales. We've sort of leveled off. If we could keep the sales at the amount that they are at the moment and still give people um, some online stuff through the week, the breaking news stories, the stuff they might get elsewhere, guess, little snippets. I guess the we'll strategy is that they're two separate entities, they're two separate products. Um, but they can feed into each other. Yeah, of course they do. But what I mean is you've got um, your web style content, like you say, crime, breaking news, the stuff that we all know works online is there's a cordon at the end of the street. Okay, right, get a story online saying there's a cordon at the end of that street. The stuff yeah. that works in print is probably an in-depth look at whatever that incident was with neighbours' reaction, um, yeah. with police. That, that I guess that, that am I right in thinking that's the mindset that they're two separate. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Yeah, with a few links between. Yeah, instead of just doing a story that happened on Monday and then repeating it, you take it on. You know, you've you've got updates. You've got a bit more background um, in the newspaper. Um, also, want to get a bit more um, comments um, in the paper and online uh, with separate columnists. Been talking to um, MPs about doing that, um, and people from different sort of spheres. You know, the usual education, crime, that sort of thing. Um, I abandoned our own uh, weekly leader column um, in favour of waffling on about my own life and giving far too much away, to be fair. <laughs> and, uh, but I've actually found it more interesting and more feedback than you do from saying, talking about a brave two-year-old who's fought an illness, which yeah. the opinion's far too obvious, really, unless there's something 
glaring that you feel that you can talk about and that you can have a valid opinion on most of it, you're going down the middle all the time because you don't want to upset readers. So, okay, mm, great stuff. Uh, well, look, very helpful, an insight into um, a paper that's obviously very close to my heart um, and, a, and a paper that I think is certainly where in, in our part of the world has, has got the balance as right as it can be, but again, subjective word is the word right or correct. What is correct? Mm. Who knows? Um, but yeah, thanks for your time. No, thank you, Sam. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Good luck.